Psalm 13, uh, Psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? And how long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, and lest my enemy say, I have prevailed against him. Lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountiful with me, bountifully with me. And those were some great worship tunes tonight, you know, to sing out to the Lord. It is something we should do. And, you know, there's times when it just is going to happen. I don't think there's ever a time we should force it. But in obedience, we can do that. But at the same time, there's things that the Lord does in our lives where you just can't help but want to raise your voice. If nothing else, behind the wheel, down 41, doing 65, and nobody else can hear you. You know, that's for me anyway. Uh, So, Psalm 13. David is being tried and tested. Four times he says, how long? Uh, Something's been going on for a while, long enough that David would have usually seen the Lord's hand by now. He would have seen some type of protection from the Lord. He would have uh, heard heard the Lord's voice comforting him and giving him some kind of direction. I think that's true in all our lives, and there is plenty of application there, as we'll see. But he's been seeking the Lord, but unable to see his face, we get from this psalm. Uh, He's in great sorrow every day, looking for answers within his own soul, uh, looking within himself. He does not know if this is the end. He doesn't know if he's going to be able to get through the night, looking uh, possibly saying that he's you know, going to sleep, and he's talking about the sleep of death. And David's enemies are all around, and they're salivating at the chance to take him out. And you know, there is plenty of application here for us. Whether we realize it or not, we've been certainly living in a country that has allowed uh, Christians and true believers to worship and gather together. Uh, but you know, as soon as you get out there on the job these days and you start you know, declaring what God's word says, you start to feel it, don't you? It starts to pinch. People start to treat you differently. And uh, that's just the beginnings, I think, of the days we're about to come into. And you've been hearing updates through the conference in the past month or so. And, and uh, last Sunday with Dwight doing the updates, you know, that glacier that's been slowly moving to come across our land is uh, just about here and things are starting to crumble as we speak. Um, so it is applicable to our day. But four times in verses 1 and 2, David says, how long? And that means when or how far are we going to go with this and how bad is it really going to get? How close to the edge before we go over is kind of the idea of what he's saying, how long? He's not hearing from the Lord and when it seems he needs it more than ever and God's not acting, God's not showing himself to David, God's not speaking. You know, first thing that comes to his mind is, well, Lord, did you forget me forever? And that word forget David uses is not really the thing forget because he knows the Lord. He knows he he remembers. He knows all things. He's on the throne. But that word means ignore more than anything. It means to let the cause or let the the attention wither. And, uh, you know, he wants to know, Lord, did you cease to care about me? 
is what he's saying there is forget. And the word for forever there is perpetually, continually, with no end in sight. And so from David's perspective, he's being ignored and not sure if God even cares about him anymore or if he ever will again. And, uh, you know, there are times, depending on what we're going through, that, uh, that, that we feel that way. And we know better, right? David knew better. In 1 Samuel 17, David told Saul, he says, you know, God's delivered the hand, me from the hand of the, the paw of the lion and the paw of the bears. You know, he's delivered him. And David knew it was only God could, that could do that because what guy is going to go up against a lion or a bear without the Lord or a gun? And David knew it was only God that could do it since he knew, you know, he could not have defeated the lion or the bear in his own strength. David knew the same thing about Goliath. You know, saying in, in that passage that all the earth will know after this that there is a God in Israel. So that's not David cranking it up and saying, I'm going to go get this guy and take him down. No, that's David saying, look, look and see what the Lord's going to do here. Let the Lord get the glory. And so David knew, and uh, he knew that the battle was the Lord's. But now he believes that God is ignoring him. And uh, he still believes, calling out to the Lord. He's not doubting or becoming an atheist. And if we ever get to Psalm 14, we'll talk about those guys. Um, but, uh, you know, he's calling out to the Lord. He's just not getting a response or getting the help that he needs. Um, there are times when we do pray, you know, and it seems as though they're bouncing off the ceiling is some expression, or it seems as though we're not getting the answer that we want. And as you grow in the Lord, as time goes by, you realize you don't always necessarily get the answer you want. You know, we all hear, as you've heard from this pulpit many times, we all hear, want to hear a yes or a no so we can get on with our lives, but all too often it's a wait, wait, wait a little more, and maybe to the point where we're going, how long, Lord, did you forget about me? So David, you know, he didn't hear anything from the Lord. He wasn't able to find any peace um, this becomes really real when we're suffering. You know, David's talking about his heart is, is uh, um, in sorrow, in great sorrow. You know, it's one thing for us to be praying about a job, and that can start to hurt when the bills start piling up, absolutely. But there's other times when we pray when we're really suffering, when we're really sick, when we're really in trouble. When, when we might be about to lose our job and lose everything, when we might be about uh, not sure what the doctors are going to say, when we're not sure whether or not you know, something very painful is, is going on. We have many people in our fellowship and around us in our, in our neighborhoods that we know that uh, are suffering. Um, they've got pain. They've got chronic pain. They've got things that the doctor's saying, if we don't do something about this, it's going to kill you. And that's real. It gets real when these days of, of sorrow um, are upon us. How can God ignore us or forget us, especially in those hard times? But David says, how long will you hide your face from me? Second, how long? And the word hide there means carefully conceal or hide, uh, but it's being done on purpose. It's being done carefully, not that he's just pulling all back and, and letting David wither. But it's careful, and he's concealing just what he needs to for this trial, this testing for David. If you want to turn with me to 1 Samuel um, 26, there was a time when uh, 
You know, the Lord, he shines his face on us, and we'll read that in a little bit. His face is towards us. We read in the scriptures how the Lord has his face towards those and blesses those, and he has his face against those. We'll see that too. But David knew that uh, he was doing everything he did before the Lord, before the Lord's face. He was doing everything he does, and so the, the Lord sees it, not that he would impress men. And we see this in, in uh, chapter 26 and of 1 Samuel, just as verses 1 through 25, the whole chapter, and we'll tell the story. When uh, the Ziphites came to Saul, now this is after David had been uh, uh, raised up and, and Saul had been going through some, some uh, jealousy, some, uh, uh, basically David had his tens of thousands, Saul had his thousands, David, Saul would hear this and then he started to hate David. He chucked his spear at him a couple times, missed him, and uh, David would play his harp, and, and all of a sudden Saul's feeling a little better. And so this has been going on and off. And uh, here we are now, David is actually hiding from Saul. So in verse 1, the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is David not hiding in the hill of Hekilah, opposite Jershimon? And then Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul encamped in the hill of Hilkalah, and, which is opposite Jeshmon, by the road. But David stayed in the wilderness, and he saw that Saul came after him in the, into the wilderness. David therefore sent out spies and understood that Saul had indeed come. So David arose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay, and Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of his army, and Saul lay within the camp with the people and camped all around him. Well, David answered and said to Ahimelech the Hittite and to Abishai, the son of Zerai, the brother of Joab, saying, who will go down with me to Saul in the camp? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. And so David and Abishai came to the people by night, and there Saul lay, sleeping within the camp, and his spear stuck in the ground by his head. And Abner and the people lay all around him. And Abishai said to David, God has delivered your enemy into your hand this day. Now therefore, please let me strike him at once with the spear right to the earth, and I will not have to strike him a second time. But David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? Now keep that in mind because, you know, David's honoring the Lord here. It may not very well be that, uh, you know, these guys that have been fighting with David want to continue to put up with Saul. I mean, their lives have been at risk and all. But uh, David says, just wait a minute. Furthermore, as the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him, or his day shall come to die, and he shall go out to battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But please, now take the spear and the jug of water by his head and let us go. And so David took the spear and the jug of water by Saul's head, and they got away, and no man saw it, no man awoke, for they were all asleep, because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen on them. The Lord was with David fighting this battle. And now David went over to the other side and stood on the top of the hill afar off, a great distance being between them. And David called out to the people and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, Do you not answer, Abner? And Abner answered and said, 
Who are you? Calling out to the king. So David said to Abner, Are you not a man? Who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not guarded your lord, the king? For one of the people came in to destroy your lord, the king, and this thing that you have done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die, Abner, because you have not guarded your master, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is and the jug of water that is by his head. This is serious business when, you're, when your viceroy can't you know, guard you and protect you. And um, they all fall asleep. And so, yes, indeed, Abner should be put to death for failing. And this thing that you have done is not good. The, uh, verse 17, Then Saul knew David's voice. And said, Is this your voice, my son David? And David said, It's my voice, my lord, O king. And he said, Why does my lord thus pursue his servant? For what have I done, or what evil is in my hand? And now, therefore, please let my lord the king hear the words of his servant. If the lord had stirred you up against me, let him accept an offering. But if it is the children of men, may they be cursed before the lord. For they have driven me out this day from sharing in the inheritance of the lord, saying, Go and serve other gods. These guys that were giving Saul counsel, sending him out. And so now, do not let the, uh, my blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord. Here we're talking about the face of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a flea, as when one hunts a partridge in the mountains. And then Saul said, I have sinned. Boy, you know, it hurt to say, have to say that for Saul, because he just did not like to admit anything. I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will harm you no more, because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Indeed, I have played the fool and erred exceedingly. And David answered and said, The king's spear, let one of the, here's the king's spear, let one of the young men come over and get it. May the Lord repay every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness, for the Lord delivered you into my hand today. But I would not stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed, and as deed as your life was valued much this day in my eyes, so let my life be valued much more, where? In the eyes of the Lord. And let him deliver me out of all tribulation. And then Saul said to David, May you be blessed, my son David. You shall both do great, th- or, you shall both do great things and also still prevail. So David went on his way and Saul returned to his place. You know, notice what matters most to David. Um, it was what was going on before the Lord's face. It was where he was putting himself. He wasn't putting himself in front of men. He was putting himself in front of the Lord and, and honoring the Lord with what he did. And he says, you know, it's what the Lord's eyes behold. And then so that he would know that it's the Lord that delivers him. It's so important for us to know that, that it's in the Lord's strength that we're delivered. So what does it mean to see the face of the Lord? In Genesis 32, Jacob was on his way to meet Esau, and he wrestled with God. Actually, he wrestled with the angel of the Lord. And then Jacob names that place um, Peniel, or Peniel, in other words, of the Lord, saying, I have seen the Lord face to face, and yet lived. Um, In Leviticus 17, it says, The Lord would set his face against, oh, I'm sorry, back up one. In Exodus uh, 33, verse 11, Moses spoke with God face to face as a man speaks with his friend. But then in verse 20, says that to fully see God's face is impossible for any man and still live. Because you know, you're not going to see God fully. He's holy God. We're just men. 
And yeah, we have a righteousness in Jesus, and one day we will be in heaven, we'll be completely free from all the trappings and all the sin, no more sin, no more tears. We'll be uh, as he is, and we'll, we'll be known even as he is known, and we'll be able to see the Lord and see his face. And that is going to be something. We're going to heaven. We've got a bright future. Don't ever let go of that. Um, so again in Leviticus 17, it says, The Lord was set his face against those that sinned against his ordinances, like eating blood or sacrificing their babies to Molech, or using diviners or wizards. If you want to turn with me to Numbers 6, uh, just a bit more towards the front of your Bible. Numbers chapter 6, and we're looking at uh, verses 22 through 27. Now this was the law of the Nazarites, and, and this is also the law of the priests. And this is Numbers, you know, some of the laws and ordinances are being handed down. But there's a, a, a truth here, and there's a representation of the Lord both to Israel through these priests when they gave the blessing, and, and the same is true to us. And, you know, people have turned this into a, a you know, part of their liturgy. And just at the end of every service, they do their little liturgy through this, and it gets old. People get used to it, and it sounds good, but it just becomes rote. The Lord says, you know, don't do things in repetition. You know, it becomes vain. It becomes empty. Let it be a part of your heart. And uh, this is one of those passages you're probably all familiar with just from that. But try and forget that. Try and see it for just exactly what it is and see what's going on here with the face of God. So the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And so they shall put my name on the children of Israel and I will bless them. And so think of this. God has set his face towards Israel for grace, for peace. Boy, we want that, don't we? To have his face set towards us, the almighty God, the face that no man can look at and live, to have his face towards us for good, for peace. For grace, you know, notice he also puts his name on Israel and will bless it. And um, his name is on Israel to this day, whether the world wants to acknowledge it at all. But he is, and as we've learned, especially again last Sunday, Ezekiel um, 36 through 39, it's good to brush up on that if you haven't. You know, he joined the hip bone to the leg bone and put meat on those bones, and now Israel's a nation, and it's, it's a clear picture of what he was doing. And he brought the two houses of Israel back together, Jeroboam and Rehoboam, and brought them back together when he did it. And that's what we are looking at over on that eastern shore of the Mediterranean right now. And so God set his face towards Israel for grace and for peace. So what does this mean for us? Hebrews 11 verse 1 says that faith is the substance, which means the firm foundation or the real existence of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen, it says in Hebrews chapter 1, uh, verse, or chapter 11, verse 1. Let's go to First Peter and look at chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Because what we're talking about is, is David can't hear the Lord's voice. He can't see his face. He's hearing crickets, you know, 
that he wants to hear the Lord. He wants to see his hand. Uh, he wants to know again that his face is towards him for good. In 1 Peter chapter 1, it says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, hallelujah, and reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Here we go. That the genuineness of your faith may be uh, being much more precious than gold, which perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is what we're going to see when we get there to see him. Whom, Whom, having not seen, here it is again, we don't see his face. We don't see. The, the writer here, Peter, did. We'll get to that. But who, may, who, having not seen, yet you love, and though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This passage tells us our faith is more precious than, than gold or silver or anything this world has to offer, including Bitcoin, or the shiny new car, or the big house, or the thousand acres of ranch land out in Colorado, or whatever is your, whatever is your, you know, thing. But notice verse 8. He says, having not seen. You know, he's talking to us. Um, Peter was there when Jesus came. He saw Jesus' face. He was seen. He held you know, he saw Jesus' face when it was held, when it was kissed. Peter, James, and John were on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus' face shone with the glory of God. They saw his face. They saw Jesus' face, the Son of God, God with us. So the face of God has been seen. And these are the people that we believe. This is the, the gospel that we believe, the testimony of the apostles, like Peter said, having not seen you love, and now you, even though you don't see, yet you believe and you rejoice. This is what we're doing here. We believe these guys who saw him, and this is their testimony. They saw him raised from the dead. And then on top of that, what does the Bible say? He's given us his spirit, and his spirit bears witness within us. It's more than just believing stories that are 2,000 years old. When we believe, the Holy Spirit bears witness in us, and we know it. We know that we know that we know that we know. There's nothing anybody can say to take that away from us because it's spiritual. He's opened our eyes. We've been born again. Once you're born again, you're born by the Spirit. Getting ahead of myself. Um, John 20, it said, uh, Jesus said to Thomas, because you've seen me, you believe. But blessed are they, or sitting in this room, who have not seen and yet believe. John finishes the chapter by saying, these things were written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. Now, we always want to serve the Lord, don't we? And, and what he's called us to. Um, we want to know that what we're doing is something he's given us to do. We want to see his hand in it. David kind of wanted to see the Lord's hand lift him up where he was, where he was not seeing. And wanted to hear God's voice. You know, we, we want to see, uh, walk in the things that God's called us to. Always and only when it lines up with scripture. 
I mean, I can say that, you know, um, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, that does not mean sin. That doesn't mean go get rich and, and fall away from the Lord because I've got too much stuff. It doesn't, you know, he, we can do all things, yeah, but we want to do what lines up with the Scripture and not just a Scripture, but the whole counsel of God. And that just seems to be common sense, but how many people these days are just taken off on one verse and just like that they got a whole ministry going and a, and a whole um, er, erroneous, you know, false religion because they've taken one thing. I mean, my goodness, the... The Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons and whoever else, they'll quote you all kinds of scripture. And they'll tell you all kinds of things about who Jesus was, but they don't take the whole counsel of God. So when we want to hear from the Lord, we want to also know that what we're being told, what we're being led to do is, is fits with the whole counsel of God, right? When we see God opening doors of opportunity and that he's providing for it, then we take it as a confirmation. We take it as, a, as an assurance we can be confident that God is in this thing that he's calling us to do. Always looking for that which only God can do in our lives. You know, there's a lot of things we can do in our own strength. And in obedience, there are a lot of things we do need to do. I mean, just getting into the word and praying and seeking the Lord. These are the most powerful things we can do in our walk to increase our faith so that we can do more things. And also, um, you know, always looking for that which only God can do in our lives, the things he's delivered us from that we could never deliver ourselves from, and the things we're able to now walk in, which without him we'd never been able to walk in. Um, so we need to keep walking, even when we haven't heard from God for some time. And uh, this is that obedience is by faith. Um, so that he gets all the glory, he gets all the honor, and he gets all the praise. James 1 tells us that trials come to test our faith. Faith, For what reason? Well, so that we mature in patience, but more than anything, so that we keep our hope on eternal life. And not, you know, the life to come, not the, the temporal things of this life. Um, this is the eternal life in Christ Jesus, and this is where we put our hope when we have, uh, when our faith is being tried and tested. And sometimes there is great sorrow, like we talked about earlier, and the sorrow of heart. David is, is ongoing daily, he says, day after day, and still to the next how long, in Psalm uh, 13, the next how long is, how long shall I take counsel in my own heart, in my own soul? Self-advice, you know, finding your purpose within, following your own heart. He's stuck with that because he's not hearing from the Lord. So many times we, choose, we do these things because we're not waiting on the Lord. So many times we just walk after something that seems to make sense to us when the Bible says that God's ways are not our ways. His ways are above our ways. There are things that he's doing that we can't even imagine. There's things that if we wait a little bit longer, we're going to see him unfold for us. And so, you know, here's David. He's, he's in great sorrow to the point where he's just trying to figure it out. His brain is spinning, um, you know, trying to reason out uh, how, he's, how he can fix this, how he can get out from under this trial. The last place I want to be is left to my own devices, trying to figure out things that, for myself without any help from God. Why, without counsel or without God's word, you know, especially here in David's case, he's talking about when the enemies are closing in, right? There's something about to happen. His life's at risk. We don't realize that there are times, like I said earlier, there, this David's in war. He's in, he's in all-out battle. There's swords, there's spears, there's arrows flying. His life is at risk. Well, 
our lives, eternal lives, were at risk, and we get saved, and now we're walking in, in, in uh, the Lord, well, the world's lives are at risk, and we have the light. We have the gospel. We can take to them as the Lord leads. Not everybody's an evangelist, but everybody had the Lord do something in their life, and everybody should be able to say to somebody, anybody who wants to know, this is what God did in my life. I'm bearing witness to you right now. I was there. It happened. And, and this is my testimony. So I don't want to be left to my own devices. For us, the best answer now, David didn't necessarily have this uh, entirely. He did have the, the Torah and all, and, and some and all with Samuel and so forth. But, uh, you know, we got the whole Bible, the Word of God. This thing can build up our faith. This thing can change our lives. And this thing brings that peace. God's Word is powerful sharper than any two-edged sword. It can bring that rest that we need. And sometimes, you know, the best answer for us when we can't get out from under the trial is to seek the Lord and in his word and, and continue to pray and be patient. The next how long is, uh, how long will my enemy be exalted over me? Like I said, David was often in very real war, hot war, as they call it. Um, God's deliverance for him was a matter of life and death. I mean, he may not go that, he might not be around tomorrow if God's not delivering him. David fought for Israel. Israel enemies, Israel's enemies are David's enemies. God's enemies are David's enemies. And David knew that the Lord fought his battles with him because, you know, he was fighting for the Lord. He, he was doing what the Lord had given him to do to, you know, purge the land of the, of the Canaanites and to uh, enter in to God's rest in the land of Israel. And so David was constantly at war. And uh, unfortunately, there was a time when he wasn't so much at war, and he ends up, uh, not only did he have enemies that were the enemies of Israel, he ended up because uh, the sword came into his own household when he took Uriah's wife, and then he took Uriah's life. And so he had enemies then. Because the sword would not depart from his house, the Lord said, because of that. Enemies among his own family, among his own friends, among his own counselors. Counselors that to him at one point were like the very voice of God. Speaking of uh, Uriah's, or, uh, Bathsheba's grandfather. And um, he was run off with Absalom. So at, David also had enemies. David's life was often at stake. And again, for us, eternity is at stake and for those around us. And as true believers, when we honor God's word in our lives, we're going to have three very real enemies. The Bible tells us that we have three enemies as believers. The world, our flesh, or the flesh, and the devil. Galatians 4, we were in bondage to the world, as far as the world is concerned. Ephesians 2, we walked according to the counsel of this world and the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that works in this unbelieving world. In James 4, it says, verse 4, it says, friendship to the world is enmity towards God. And he's writing to believers that are just starting to get into friendship with the world again. And because the world is at enmity towards God, God is at an enemy to the world and the world is an enemy to God. Um, those that belong to Jesus Christ, here we are in this world. Well, guess what? The world's our enemy too. Now, also, 
our own flesh. John 3.6 says that which is born of spirit is spirit. That which is born of flesh is flesh. There's a difference. John 6 verses 63 says it's the spirit that quickens and the flesh profits nothing. And it says Jesus' words are spirit and life. Now if you turn with me to Galatians, there's a little passage that kind of lays it all out. Galatians chapter 5. And we're going to look at 16 through 26. So what's left for us to do now that we realize that our very flesh that we woke up with this morning is our enemy? Well, the first thing that we've got to remember is, uh, you know, we die to ourselves daily. Um, we need to crucify our flesh, you know. We need to put it, put it down because every morning it rises up. And um, so, but walking in the Spirit... Verse 16, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Well, why? Well, the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary, they're enemies to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. In other words, you want to do what, what you know to do, and yet, here's your flesh, this corpse that we drag around that keeps on rearing its head and, and dragging us into this or that. But it says, uh, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law, all right? So that, that means that you're dead to the law. Your flesh is going to cause trouble, but you're dead to the law. You're not trying to keep the law anymore. You're trying to live after the Spirit and walk after the Spirit. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Now, we're going to get a real detailed description of your enemy, okay? Just so you know, was, what's the, every general know? What's every soldier know? You got to know your enemy, right? I mean, what if you bring a knife to a gunfight? Well, if you're any more than 20 feet away, you ain't got a chance. If you're 20 feet away, you might have a chance. Um, you might not be able to draw that fast, right? And so the, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. Yeah, we're going to do word study in all these. Idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, plural, interesting, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not, will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Those who practice such things. Okay, that's an ongoing, that's a, a Greek way of saying it's, happening and it's keeping on happening it's ongoing you're practicing it. it's not something you stumble across it's not something you make a mistake in it's something that you go out to try and do every day you're walking after it you're practicing it okay but um, the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace long-suffering kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control against such there is no law and those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. In other words, we've been made alive. We've been born again. We're alive. We, live. we have the Holy Spirit in us as a deposit. We're going to heaven? Well, what's the ticket? Well, the ticket is the cross. What's the seal on that ticket? The seal is that Holy Spirit that we are born again. And... Um, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, interesting, and provoking one another, envying one another. Notice how the, the exhortation here has to do with 
obviously he's writing this because they're having problems with some of these things. And now he's saying, come on, you're brethren. You know, don't do this to one another. So back to the list. And um, just so you know your enemy, which is your flesh, we can do just a couple of word studies on these things. Adultery, we all know what that is. Sex with other, any other than your spouse. And if you're not married, fornication, sex outside of marriage. In other words, get married. Um, uncleanness, well, that's physical, physically uncleanness. But it's also morally impure or with impure motives. Lewdness is lasciviousness, another word we use every day at the shop. Um, licentiousness, another one of those words we use every day at the shop, except this makes a little more sense. Licentiousness is license, right? License to sin. It means that unbridled lust, that excess, that wantonness, that outrageousness, and shameless. I mean, now there's TV shows called Shameless. I mean, it's just all over. Insolent. Um, you know, fun people to hang around, right? Insolent. That's what lewdness means. Idolatry. Well, idolatry, we pretty much know. Worship of false gods. Also has the idea of avarice. Avarice. Worship of money. The vices that are a part of worship of false god. All the things that people do, like, like back in the Old Testament, they, they would run around and all the stuff that they're trying to do uh, just to get people to join up with their worshiping of their false god. Um, sorcery, I'm sure you've heard this before. The word there in Greek is pharmakia, from which we get pharmacy. The first meaning of that word uh, sorcery is poison. Plain and simple. Poison. Administering of drugs for magic arts used to bring to idolatry, like we were talking about, and promote the hedonistic practices that go along with pagan rituals. In other words, somebody's slipping somebody a Mickey, isn't that what they say? You know what the and, and that's what they're doing. They're using drugs, they're using sorcery. It's funny how well, I don't want to go there. you we've in the last month with the with the whole uh, um uh, prophecy conference and all, we've dealt with much of that having to do with the society and what we're dealing with right now with regards to drugs. And uh, there's a difference between somebody who is using drugs to harm people under the guise of help people. And then there's a, there's a difference between that and a drug that's helping people out and curing people who, of whom we have sitting in our, our midst today. People that have taken you know, strong, strong stuff. And it's helped them. And they're cured. And this is huge. That's the difference between pharmacia of the good kind and the kind that's used to draw people into idolatry and to poison people. Then there's hatred. Our flesh and its loveliness, right? Hatred. Enmity. And to cause enmity is hatred. You're doing it to try and get people to hate. Um, the motive behind gossip is hatred to cause hatred with gossip. And when, you know, when you gossip, you're trying to change somebody's attitude about somebody else. You're trying to give them just what you want to give them so that this person looks bad to them. So maybe you, you win this friend, but you've just done harm to this other person. That's evil. I mean, do you see that? It's not just, no, I'm, you know, I heard this or heard that. It's more than that. It's you're, you're trying to change the way somebody views somebody else. And that is a hatred. Contentions. Variance is what it means, debate, strife, wrangling, and it kind of means to cause someone to
to doubt or challenge God's wisdom as we talked about in James. You know, doubting is one thing. We all doubt ourselves. We all doubt, you know, this or that. But to, to hear God's wisdom and then to say, I don't know if I want to go that route. You know, I kind of thinking that might not be what I want to deal with. Well, that's contending. That's contentions. We, we know what the, the Bible says about contentious people. They're causing variance. They're, they're bringing up debates that don't need to be brought up. They're causing strife, frustrations. And they're always loud. They're always wrangling. Sometimes they're real quiet. And they're just as smooth as can be and trying to draw people away and um, bring in gossip. So uh, jealousies, emulations, it means. Excitement of the mind is interesting. Jealousies. You're, you're arousing, getting the mind going. It's, it's ardor, which is zeal in, in a jealous pursuit. You're just going after it. It's a jealousy, and you're going to pursue it with punitive fierceness, it talks about. Fierceness of indignation. And envious and a contentious rivalry is that word Again, our lovely flesh we wake up with every morning, right? The, 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 walk, the works of the flesh. These are the works of the flesh. Outbursts of wrath. Well, that's somebody who heats up really fast for the drop of a pin and then nothing. And he just drops right off. But boy, when he heats up, it's big. It's an outburst. Ardor there, pushing rage, and usually ends up in violence. I mean, it's this kind of outburst that, if nothing else, it's violence to our ears, you know? Um, selfish ambitions, uh, pushing for promotion, that means, causing division, in fact, to advance oneself. And that actually means, when you look it up, willing to use low arts, it says. Well, basically what that means is trickery, uh, deceit, evil means. Um, dissensions, seditions, causing divisions, is what dissensions means. Heresies, that's divisions based on bodies of thought, or different sects of religion, that word means, that he's using right here. You know, we think about heresies, and we think about false teaching, and that's certainly it. And a heresy, but is, it carries with it. Now, we got a body of guys. we got a bunch of, one bunch of people, you know, or gals, that got this whole idea going. And it's, it's going to be what we're going after here, and that's a heresy. Um, has to do with uh, different sects of religion. Has to do with opinions of men following their own tenets and trying to bring their own wisdom on the Word of God rather than, you know, letting uh, God be the final judge on everything. Murders, and simply means murder and slaughter. Drunkenness, intoxication. Jesus warned that that day will come upon you unawares. You know, don't be drunk. He says his day, our day when we go to be with him, will come up on us unaware. That's what Jesus said about it. Revelry is the same. Carousal, drunk all-nighters, parading in the streets to some deity it used to be is what he was talking about. And now it says, and the like. Anything corresponding to or resembling any of the above. (laughs) So, and the like. Now contrast that with the fruit of the Spirit. And, you know, because that's pretty depressing, right? And I'm sorry that that's who you're going to look at in the mirror tomorrow morning, but that is who you're going to look at in the mirror tomorrow morning until you decide to you know, walk after the Spirit until you decide to put your flesh aside and, you know, crucify your flesh. And, you know, the day goes on, the day is long. By the end of the day, we're looking for mercy, right? I know I am because I can crucify my flesh in the morning, but, you know, i got to kind of kick it back down all day, don't I? Don't we have to kind of make our choices? 
all day long. Contrast all that now with the fruit of the Spirit. Love, love is agape love is called. It means goodwill, selfless affection, and benevolence. And benevolence is something that's done without you know, regard for how it's going to affect you. It only is done for the good of the other person. Joy is the fruit of the Spirit. Joy is gladness. And it's joy that's received among each other here. It's joy that we share. That's the fruit of the Spirit, to be able to be joyful. Peace. Now that means harmony. That means a concord or an accord. And it means that tranquil state of a soul that's assured of salvation. Isn't that something? Peace. How we can have that peace, that tranquil uh, state. Uh, Long-suffering means kind of what it says. Endurance, constancy, steadfastness, perseverance, forbearing, and slow to avenge wrongs is what that word means. You're long-suffering. You don't jump at the first chance to get somebody back. Um, Kindness, gentleness, moral goodness, integrity, and harmless is what kindness means. We all know a kind person, and we know how to be kind, really, don't we? Usually it ends up starting out with just not saying anything, just doing kind things. Because kind words are good, but kind actions, people never forget that. People always know when they're feeling, when they're being treated kindly. Goodness, he says, is a fruit of the Spirit. It simply means uprightness of heart and life. Faithfulness is a fruit of the Spirit. And that is a conviction that not only does God exist, but Jesus Christ is the Messiah by whom we have eternal salvation. That's faith and faithfulness. Gentleness is meekness and mildness. The meek shall inherit the earth, those who are gentle. A little different than kindness. Kindness, you go out of your way. Gentle, you're making sure that you're not hurting anybody. Um, Self-control. The virtue of one who masters his or her desires, passions, and sensual appetites. Fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Kind of takes care of that other list, doesn't it? Um, Now, we have a third enemy. Those are the first two enemies, the world and our flesh. The third enemy is the devil. Just a short list here. We know it. John 10, verse 10, The robber comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. Nothing else. He's not here to make you rich, not unless he can kill you in the end. He's not here to, to make your life easy, not unless he can bring you into slavery. That's, that's the devil. The robber comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. Revelation 12, who else is this guy? Well, it says he is the accuser of the brethren and accuses us before God day and night. It says in Revelation 12, verse 10, he's the accuser of the brethren, accuses us before God day and night. You know, it's so important for us to recognize the things that are of the Lord and the things that are of the devil and of the, of people who are not behaving the way they ought. Maybe they just don't have the Holy Spirit. Maybe they don't. Uh, uh, maybe that's what they need. And so, not necessarily for us to get our ire up, but maybe it's necessary for us to pray for someone who who's behaving in a way that just isn't of the Lord. It's not spiritual. It's not of the Spirit. It's more of the enemies, more of our enemies that we're getting off with some people than it is uh, a true kindness, a true peace and a harmony that comes with with the brethren. Um, All of these enemies trouble us 
and they want to see us be moved. Doesn't have a Psalm 16 or 13 say? It says in uh, verse 4, it says, Lest my enemies say I have prevailed against him, lest those who trouble me rejoice when I'm moved. Well, that word moved basically means to be shaken, to be shook up, to be tottering, and to be stumbling. You know, that, that uh, all of these enemies, they want to see us totter. They want to see us stumble. You know, the world, they, come on, your guys at work, that you work, if you work in the shop or on the job site or, or wherever it is, if they know you're a believer, they're looking, they're waiting for the chance for you to, to, to that they can say, see, I saw you do that. You know, I, you know you're, they're looking for that chance. You know, as with David, he says now in verse 3 and 4, he's saying, you know, consider, hear me, Lord, my God, enlighten my eyes. And when he's talking about enlightening my eyes, he's saying, you know, uh, lift that fog because I'm not seeing, I'm not hearing, I don't see your face. Bring back that clear sight. And when he talks about consider, he says that just simply, let's stop ignoring me. You know, stop ignoring my situation, Lord. Show regard, pay attention. So he's, he's pleading to the Lord in verse 3 and 4. It says, enlighten my eyes, and again, lest I sleep the sleep of death. And whenever the, the Lord talks about sleep, uh, f- death for saints, or death for believers, it all has to do with sleep. It's just, we're just, they were just asleep. You know, the Old Testament saints, it was just asleep. Until Jesus rose from the dead, all the saints that died, it was just sleep. Well, now that Jesus rode from, rose from the dead, sent it to the Father in heaven, for us to be absent from the body, is to be present with the Lord. We are there. We've got a bright future, and it's coming soon. You know, be patient. We've been patient for 40 years, you know, just a little more. Some of you are brand new believers. You've been patient for a day or two, just a little more. It's not going to be long. You know, when the Lord comes, it'll be right on time. It's not like it's going to be, oh, David's going how long, and we're going how long, you know, right before the Lord comes back. But, uh, you know, until then, persevere and keep your eyes on the things that are coming. But then, um, you know, part of David's motives here was to see his, you know, that his enemies see that it was God who delivered him. The world has persecuted the church since it began to this very day, seeking to silence the word of God spoken by which the Holy Spirit brings conviction of sin. That's why the world hates us and hates us talking about the word. Now the word, the spirit, and the conviction draw some to repentance, but other to the point where they're gnashing their teeth in rage. We've got to expect that from our enemies. They seek to prevail and silence the word of God, just like David. He's saying, you know, that my enemies don't prevail against me. They despise the light that exposes their sin, and we are messengers that they want to silence. The enemy that is our own flesh will always seek to prevail over us as well, right? Because to walk in the spirit goes against the grain. I mean, come on. We're swimming against the tide. We're swimming upstream. As long as we're in this world, we're going to be swimming upstream. Now the devil, our other enemy, he's defeated, right? David's talking about making sure his enemies don't prevail over him. Well, our enemy, the devil, he's defeated. But he still lies. He still deceives. He still continues to deceive the world. And he seeks to prevail over the church. How? What does it say in Timothy? Wolves creep in. And they begin to introduce destructive heresies, doctrines of demons. That's the devil. He's still at it. He's not gone and just decided to quit. Well, he's at it right now. 
And so we need to remember that. You know, he is seeking to prevail over us. Now, David reaches a turning point, and we all got to reach this turning point. We're dealing with our enemies. We're, we're going, how long? How long? We're dealing with our enemies here in verse 5 and 6. But I have trusted in your mercy. I, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is a turning point for David. And there really does have to be a turning point for us. For us to set our eyes and trust God's mercy. You know, he's not forgotten us. You know, his mercy endures forever, right? He's not turned his face against us. He's got us right between his hands. And he's not going to let go of us. In the Gospels, all those that would call upon Jesus to be healed, they always said, Jesus, thou son of David. David, the guy who trusts in God's mercy. You think Jesus is going to, ah, leave me alone. No, he turned and faced him and healed him. How much more for us every time Jesus set his face toward them and healed them and forgave their sins. You know, how do you understand mercy? Well, you know, until you're fully aware that you're deserving of punishment and death and your enemies and accusers are about to take your life, destroy your life because you're helpless to save yourself, then you hear of God's love. Then you hear of God's mercy. You hear of his forgiveness and you know, you, you see that he died in your place on the cross. And you ask him for mercy because you know that you have nothing of yourself. I mean, have you been in that situation where you've been crying for mercy because you just know that you deserve eternal punishment? You know, you know mercy because he then reveals to you that he's shown you his mercy on the cross. He's, he died in your place. You hear of his love, you hear of his forgiveness, and you believe. But you got to ask. David asks. You know, he says, uh, light my eyes. And uh, we have to ask him for mercy. We don't have anything of ourselves. And then we see how bountifully he has dealt with you, and your heart rejoices in his salvation, right? I mean, when, when you first found out that you were truly born again, when you first realized that, yes, I believe, and yes, he says it in his word that I am going to heaven, I'm, I'm, I belong to the Lord. You know, your heart rejoiced. I don't know if it came out, out loud or not. I know mine usually ends up in tears. I don't have a whole lot of out loud business. But uh, your heart rejoiced, right? Your heart sings. So walk and live in mercy. That, that he has for us because really his mercy is his love for us. One last passage and then we're done and that's Ephesians chapter 2 and just verses 1 through 7. It says, And you he made alive who were once dead in trespasses and sin in which you once walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air and the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we are by nature children of wrath. We are enemies, just as the others. But God, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, because by grace you have been saved and raised us up made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And by the way, that's even right now. 
And uh, when we go, we'll be there. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You know, it's it's a bright future. And so we're going to heaven, people. Well, why don't we pray if you want to stretch your legs? Oh, Lord, thank you for saving us. And uh, words fall way short. And um, we sure need to, to be able to uh, keep this before us. As I heard it said a long time ago, have eternity stamped on our eyes so that our lives would just reflect it. And Lord, we know it's not up to us in our own strength, but we just pray that you continue to call us to walk in you and then give us the strength and the power to do it. And we desperately want to be with you soon. Until then, Lord, use us to draw those souls that still remain and uh, proclaim your name and not be shy. We just ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.